Good morning and welcome to the business of. Today's topic is the business of leaving a legacy. The topic of leaving a legacy ties into the theme of Tucson Metro Chamber's next Chamber Edge magazine as we are celebrating our 125th anniversary. And what better way to do so than to collect stories about the history of Tucson businesses and the legacy they wish to leave behind. We want to share stories filled with risks and rewards and resilience. We will collect these stories from our members throughout January. So I've thoroughly enjoyed interviewing my guests because they have interesting stories to tell about their businesses and the path that led to their success. But today's guest, Charles Holman, who is a retired businessman who just celebrated his 88th birthday is extra special because he is also my father. He had a successful career in banking in Maryland and was always active in the community and raised four daughters on his own. He has always shared his opinions regarding personal finances, workforce development, education, and more. So I thought that for this episode, I'd go ahead and give him an opportunity to share his words of wisdom as part of his legacy and a kickoff to our next Chamber Edge magazines. Hi, Dad. Hi, Heather. How are you today? I'm having a good day. Thanks so much. And thanks so much for being here. I think this will be a good conversation for you to not only uh, get out to the community what you've taught us over the years, but just to, you know, share some tips and tricks and how you succeeded along the way. So start off by telling us, what was the last job you had before you retired? Chief Lending Officer for Real Estate Finance, uh, specifically zeroing in on construction financing for residential projects, both land acquisition development loans and for house construction loans. That practically all my career has always involved lending money. Right. And so uh, what was the very first job you ever had? Well, the U.S. Army. <laughs> right. That's, that's important. I'm sure you learned a lot there. Right. And boy, the hospital corners you have on the beds when you make them, those are impressive. Still, I still have those skills. <laughs> I know. You can bounce a dime off the beds. <laughs> After the Army, you went into college, correct? Actually, I was in college before I went in the Army. I, yeah, from high school, I went uh, to college. Uh, at the University of Baltimore, and at that time, it, it was during the Korean War, they were, uh, if you didn't take the selective service test or weren't in the top, I think, like 10% of your class, they would draft you into the Army. So I went into the Army for two years, and then I went uh, back to college when I graduated, then started my first job with Union Trust Bank. Okay, and then how did that come to be? Uh, I was cutting grass or something in my front yard and my neighbor who was uh i think a vice president in the trust department with the uh, union trust bank said uh, you're out of college now you have you thought about a career in banking i said no not really right he, he, said, he said well we're looking for people to get into our management uh program and uh, i think you would uh, probably like it so uh, he arranged for me to go down and uh Talked to the personnel department and then got the job. Oh, okay. And then tell me more about that job and the whole process. 
Well, I ended up going into the branch uh, management system. Uh, so I've traveled around different branches, substituting for the managers when they went on vacation and, and dealing with the uh, uh, normal bank business with, uh, like you go into the bank today and you want to open an account. You know, I was opening accounts. I was making house loans and, and uh, car loans and things like that. Um, and Had they the, trained you first? Did you go through a whole training process? Well, they, they had a, a training program where you went through each area of the bank and you spent two weeks uh, in that area of the bank to learn what they did. And then after that, I think it was like a month or two months, they then assigned you to a permanent position. And mine happened to be in the branch management system. Uh, so I just went out into the branches and, and substituted for the managers when they went on vacation and, and, uh, didn't do hiring or firing or anything like that, but I, I worked within the office doing, doing just banking business, uh, like a normal branch. And I know you were in that for a while, and then you moved into the mortgage lending. Isn't that correct? How did that come to be? You know, I'm trying, I'm trying to think really exactly how I ended up going from, from the, the branch business. Uh, I think what happened was I uh, ended up leaving uh, the banking uh, after I decided it. I didn't want to really be a, in the branch management business. It wasn't that exciting. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so I worked at the bank and was a volunteer signed by the bank to the United Appeal and worked at the United Appeal as a volunteer for through one campaign. And at the end of the campaign, the United Appeal offered me a job to manage a, a campaign in three counties in, around Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that job, you actually, you were the head of that particular uh, campaign for whatever county you were in, and I had three of them. And you started off by getting somebody within the county to be the volunteer head mm-hmm. to organize the campaign for that for that area. Uh, and I did that for two different campaigns. And then after the second campaign, I'd finished it. I realized that wasn't what I wanted to do for a living. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Fundraising is hard. It, it is very hard, and you're, you know, you're, and here you're asking volunteers to give up their time to really do all the work, and all I did was organize it, and uh, right. I, you know, supplied all the material and for meetings so we could discuss how we were going to expand from their person to a whole organization of volunteers. Right. And what came after that? Oh, after that, uh, I decided that was not how I wanted to live my life. (laughs) (laughs) I I, and I had been playing sports at at club lacrosse, and a friend of mine was uh, in in the uh, mortgage banking business. They had some openings, and he said, "You know, you you know, I think we have a position for you there." So he lined up the interview, and I went and got the job as managing a mortgage banking operation in Annapolis for Weaver Brothers, which was a, a, a regional mortgage banking firm, and uh, started, and at that point, started doing construction loans to individuals who were building their houses, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I'd work with the builders and, and financing, getting the financing set up for the house construction and managing the uh, funding of the construction as the house was being built. And okay. Ended up liking that area of banking. After, I think, probably a couple of years of doing that, I went with a larger 
mortgage banking firm and had uh, a much bigger operation uh, and, and was making bigger <laughs> real estate loans. Right. Because as I was in the business and, and got the liking it, I sort of found my niche. So I started getting business coming to me uh, because of the fact that I enjoyed it so much. It showed uh, that I uh, could work with the people that in the construction business. So I ended up not doing mortgage banking anymore. I did strictly construction loans for projects, all residential projects. I didn't do commercial financing at all, but all residential projects. I ended up doing land acquisition development loans and then construction loans to uh, the builders who uh, bought the lots from the developers I was financing. So it ended up with a full cycle of uh, real estate financing from land acquisition development loans to construction loans to uh, even a condominium in Ocean City, Maryland. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's just one of those things you've got, you, you knew how to handle the uh, funding of the loans. And the main thing with the real estate lending is you, you lend money when work is completed on the project. You have definite draw schedules for everything in either land development or, or construction financing. You have uh, draw schedules for everything that has to be done for, for the money's released. Right. So uh, I'd have to go out and look at the projects and be satisfied that the work that was supposed to be done is done and then funded it. And ended up, I was doing, you know, million dollar projects. Uh, and this was back in the... Uh, back in the 80s, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and so the equivalent to today would be probably what double that. Yeah, at least <laughs> if not more. That. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like a lot of the transitions you made were risks that you just went for. Uh, what might you recommend to people who say aren't completely happy in the career path that they're in? Do you have any suggestions of what they might do to know if or when they should make that leap? Well, one thing is not be afraid to make a change, uh, because if you're you're not happy in your career, the worst thing for you is to stay in that career. Exactly. You, you, you need to find something that fits your makeup as far as personality and abilities, and and don't oversell yourself. Okay, because nowadays people say, you know, fake it till you make it, and so you're saying actually don't do that. You shouldn't. No. no. <laughs> oversell yourself. Just be authentic. Because if you don't make it, it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it also sounds like along the way, some of the transitions you made were because of relationships that you had, whether it be from college sports uh, friendships or more along the way. So what would you say about that, the importance of keeping in touch with people and having solid relationships? Uh, the solid relationship is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. because because really most of the jobs I've had I didn't really apply for they came to me a little bit because mm -hmm. the, the people knew what my interest was and what my skill level was and uh, th they really came to me because they had something they wanted me to look at as for a position and uh, so I really did it did it that way and and uh, rather than applying for something to try to find out whether it was something I could do. I, I sort of fell into the position because of what I'd already done. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and I think truly just people knowing that you had a
good personality or charismatic, good looking <laughs> and had a good work ethic. I think that really carried you pretty far, truly just knowing people, knowing that people knew that you would do a good job. In case you're just now tuning in, this is Tucson Metro Chambers, the business of. Today's special guest is Charles Holman, an 88-year-old retired banker from Maryland who is helping us kick off our upcoming legacy edition of our Chamber Edge magazine. We're in our 125th year, and so we're going to have our Chamber Edge magazine talk about people's stories of business, resilience, risks, and rewards. People out there who were looking for what I had to offer uh, felt comfortable with me because it was easy to work with. Right, and that's so important, just the relationships you have with your coworkers. Tell us more, so now that you're an 88-year-old man, what would you say to say the 28-year-old version of yourself or the 38-year-old version of yourself as far as personal finances and taking risks and that sort of thing? Well, I didn't feel like I ever took a lot of risk because I couldn't afford to take a lot of risk. Uh, I had to live on what I made. So how did you make ends meet as far as budgeting? What would you recommend for people who might be listening, who who think, oh, gosh, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm living paycheck to paycheck. How could I, you know, start putting some savings aside? Do you have any good tips? Well, yes, earn a lot more money. <laughs> <That's>... uh... <laughs> Other than that. <laughs> because... Or tell me, how how do you do that? Well, you do it by just staying at what you're doing, and, and and if you're doing it well enough, you'll grow, and the income will grow with it. So I really never paid much attention to what I was making other than I, de I demanded a lot when I saw what other people were making in, in the field I was in. And uh, if I felt that they were being unjust to me uh, based on the profitability I was providing to the company I was with, uh, I let it be known that uh, uh, if I wasn't paid according to what other people in my field were making, I was not going to stay with them. And, and did that it, usually work? It, it always worked. Oh, good. You're <laughs> lucky. Some people were... might show you the door. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, because I I, I was dealing from a, from a, I had I was in a business that not a lot of people were in. Mm -hmm. And it was a one-man show because I actually built up my business so much that I had to get other paid in my loans because they couldn't generate the business themselves. So I would I would sell a piece of my loans to them. I would service it, do all the work, but then I would generate the income. A lot of the income went to me and, and the lender who participated with me in the loan got their interest that they wanted on the money that they were putting out. But the individuals weren't making what I was making, but it was because I had developed a niche where I had something to provide that they weren't able to build on their own. Oh, I see. Okay. And then let's talk a little bit more about, I know that you, you shared this with myself and my sisters before about what you really wish they would teach in high school. <laughs> tell us more about that. Well, I'll tell you the thing that, that benefited me the most and a lot of uh, people in my day and age, for instance, I took typing when most guys weren't taking typing. Right. And I used it all my life. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and I took accounting, uh, bookkeeping in high school. And that's where I learned how to balance my checkbook. Mm -hmm. And I think they, they need to put more emphasis on business end of education. Uh, so that people don't just go out and get the degrees and high level things, but they also deal with basic things. Something that we have in common, how maybe I, I learned this from you, how we, we judge people by their handshakes. And lately, you know, there hasn't been as much handshaking going on with the pandemic. But no. I, I do feel that that's something that perhaps should be taught in high school as well, just about looking someone in the eye, giving a good handshake, writing a thank you note, that sort of thing. So what else along those lines do you think would be helpful for high schoolers to learn? Well, that, well, that all that's very important. And also, for instance, in my day, you know, you wouldn't necessarily shake a woman's hand, but I think it's very important that you can shake a woman's hand and it's a firm handshake. Mm -hmm. And that just shows, you know, some strength of character that you actually have some uh, some pizzazz with you and well uh, it's a quality too when it, you shake someone's hand the same way regardless of who they are i think that's important and and look them in the eye because mm -hmm. if you look them in the eye and they look you in the eye i think you you get a familiarity with each other that way just showing confidence in each other right and, and in yourself anything else you think would be great uh, to teach high schoolers. Yeah, you'll always need friends somewhere down the road. Exactly. And Those, I think social media has made that even a little bit easier to stay in touch with people. Well, you have many, so many more tools to stay in touch with people today uh, because of the mechanics we have today of, of picking up a phone and looking somebody in the eye while you're talking to them. Whereas you, you, I couldn't do that in my day. Exactly. You, know, you have a, a, a line that's strung across two poles. Uh, <laughs> right and you'd have to hold the uh phone upside down from the cord just to let it unravel <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's right and we were talking earlier a little bit about how back when you went to college you had a full ride which was the equivalent to six hundred dollars and nowadays <laughs> that can barely even buy you books so how do you feel about when people when students follow the path to learn trades for example versus going to college do you have an opinion about that i think and understated the value of having learned a trade mm -hmm. because business world today to know that you can use your hands or your brain to change into whatever needs is available so if you're a plumber i tell you we've had some plumbing problems around here and if i didn't have a plumber to call <laughs> I could, I, I'd probably burn my house down. Uh, <laughs> a necessary job because without them, where would we be? There is a quality of life when people can use what God gives them with working with their hands or working with ideas on uh, art or whatever to uh, create something. And I think in the building business, for instance, the, the f fellows that do the, the minimal training as far as education is concerned, do some of the most important jobs that maintain our standard of living, like our plumbers and, and electricians. Sure. Because uh, what would we do without them? Exactly. No, there's so many things around the house where, you know, some people have limited abilities, but you certainly don't want to be 
dealing with important things like electricity and rewiring things if you could potentially turn that into a, a bigger problem if you don't do it properly. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you definitely want a licensed professional for many, many fields and even automotive and things like that. So, and, and even what you said before, even about the arts, how important that is. Mm-hmm. And, and these people that are finally, I think, getting recognized and getting uh, paid accordingly with how much money they can make with a, t- a trade. Whereas a lot of people in the business world who, who wanted their white collar job because it looks so good, aren't going anywhere because right. they, the, the job that they have doesn't produce income, which is what everybody's paid from. If a business doesn't make income, the, the, they can't pay it out. Exactly. And so many people graduate with enormous college loan debt too. And so if you go the trade route, you're going to have, you know, minimal uh, debt and be making really great money for some of those fields for sure. So in your years of financing and deciding whether to approve uh, a loan for say a new uh, commercial subdivision or something like that, how often were you truly making the financial decision by what all the numbers showed versus what your gut told you about that person. Tell us a little bit more about that. The individual, uh, more than their financial statement. Mm-hmm. Because many times the financial statements did not give you the complete story of how the operation was running. You had to be out looking because one of the other things I did, I never stayed in the bank looking at projects. I went out and looked at it myself to see how the project was running and see how it was professionally developing and moving along so that you could see if a subcontractors weren't showing up on a job, for instance, mm-hmm. that told you that the company was not handling their money well. Because okay. if they're, if you, one of the first things it shows is when the workers stop because they're not getting paid for their work that they're doing. Oh, okay. And if you weren't out in the field seeing that yourself, you wouldn't know it. And the project gets into financial trouble where you can't salvage it. Right. So you were an active participant in the whole process, not just oh, sitting behind oh, your desk. Always. I've known lenders and never seen a project. Mm. Uh, but the people that work for me and, and myself, we were out there all the time looking at this, at the kicking the dirt, as you say. Uh, We don't have a whole lot more time, but I I do want to hear your thoughts about career and family balance. Sometimes it's so hard when you do have uh, young kids, especially who are demanding of your time, yet you're also trying to build your career path. And since you were a single parent raising four daughters by yourself, I think you probably have a few tips or ideas about that. Do you have any words of wisdom about balancing a career and family? Well, I think the main thing with balancing a career and family is you have to put respect with everybody. You can feel that that uh, you're interested in them. In fact, with the new dog we just picked up, it just reminded me of the fact that, remember when I was at the Rouse Company and the women at the company always took care of me as far as baking things and bring them to work because they right. knew I was uh, a single father and, and uh, didn't have time for that. It was had hard enough time to just keep my head above water. Right. One of the women at Christmas time, her bread she made. It That's stood about right. Two 
<laughs> and I remember that. And the guy that came home from work was just eating out. <laughs> I remember that. Our because yellow Labrador. Gotten into it. Yep. <laughs> that but, seems like yesterday, and it was decades ago. It's amazing yeah, how quickly time flies. <laughs> when you treat people right, they, they do bend over backwards to help you all the way, all the mm -hmm. time. Right. So it is a matter of respect. That's important. I like it. I think that's a great note to to wrap up on, if that's okay with you, unless there's anything else you'd like to add. I, I miss working, but I don't miss it. <laughs> right. What do you miss about it the most? I guess the camaraderie and, uh, sure. the, and my customers who always were great. That's great that you developed those amazing relationships over the years, for sure. So I will go ahead and wrap up our show then. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business Of. And thanks again to my very special guest today, Charles Holman. And in case you didn't catch this episode from the beginning, it can also be found on Spotify by searching Tucson Metro Chamber or The Business Of Tucson. Please follow Tucson Metro Chamber on all of our social media channels and check out TucsonChamber.org for upcoming events or membership information. Would you like to be my guest or sponsor of an episode? Or would you like to share your legacy about the risks, rewards, and resilience you've experienced as a feature in our next Chamber Edge magazine for our 125th anniversary legacy issue? Go ahead and find me, Heather Wolpern, on our staff page under the Chamber tab at TucsonChamber.org. I'd like to thank our Executive Circle Catalyst members who support Tucson Metro Chamber's mission to champion environment where your business thrives and our community prospers. They include HDS Companies, Hensley Beverage Company, and Heinfeld Meech. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day.